I'm drawn this week in particular to a passage of scripture in Corinthians. And if you would just make your way to the 11th chapter of Corinthians and if anybody says amen, it's not Ephesians, you may be expelled from the church after this. Uh, <laughs> we've been in Ephesians for a good while and we've got a good while yet to go. But as we look at this today, I thought about this this summer. We were preparing our message series for the fall and where God might be leading us. And with Advent being earlier, it feels like than kind of normal because you kind of get into it right at the end of, of, um, of November. It feels just quick to me all the time. I felt like this would be a great week to stop and pause and for us to be thankful to the Lord for a few things. I'm thankful for a few things this year. I'm thankful for 2021 being different than 2020. I'm grateful for 2021 allowing us to have a vacation Bible school this year where we had students that came to that vacation Bible school who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in relationship with him for the very first time. I'm thankful this year that we were able to have a student camp that we had not been able to have in the past and that in that student camp, several of our students came forward to say it was time for them to be baptized. I'm thankful that God has provided all of our needs through his glory and riches in Christ Jesus and that God has not failed our church yet. We have had everything that we needed and then some. I'm grateful for the answered prayers that we have seen this year. I'm grateful for the ministry that's happened. I'm grateful for new classes that have started. I'm grateful for new initiatives that have started. I'm grateful for so many things in my family. But most of all, I would be grateful today for the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. And that God the Father made a way for us in Christ Jesus. And that's what our passage today is talking about. It's talking about the Lord's Supper. Now, you may have kind of figured that, and some of you probably saw the little packet as you walked in and thought, oh, man, we're still using these. Come on. You know, I know that uh, the styrofoam bread inside of here maybe is not the best and whatnot, but it's certainly the most sanitary option we could give you right now, and we just stay with these for a while, and it's, it's a little simpler. But why do we do this? Why do we, why do we pass these out? And if you didn't receive one, you'll have a chance before the end of the service for now, all you need to do is just set this to the side. But why do we do this? Why would we take the Lord's Supper? Why would that be important for us to do? Well, the scripture outlines several things, but I want to tell you what it's not. It's not a ritual. We don't do this because we are a ritualistic people of faith. That's not part of it. We don't do it because it's kind of iconic for us. For in fact, we don't have icons around the building so much. And in fact, the only kind of a picture that we have is kind of obscured until we have a baptism and we light uh, kind of the, the, the glass behind there that you, you certainly would recognize as us giving homage to the Lord Jesus Christ in that. But we do it symbolically. The Lord's Supper for us, like baptism, is symbolic. It's symbolic of something that we'll see in the scripture. On the night Jesus was betrayed, uh, the authorities had gotten one of his disciples to come to their side of things. And on that night, they were doing one of the most personal and intimate things you could do. They were eating together. Why do Baptists like to eat? Well, we just like to eat, that's true. 
but we like to eat because the fellowship that takes place. It's different when you sit down and have a meal with someone across the table with them and you, you begin to share about your life and they share about their lives. This meal was even more important than that. Jesus had told the disciples to go and find a place to prepare for them to have that, the Passover meal. The Passover meal was significant to all Jews because it signified God's deliverance for them when they left Egypt and were able to finally be delivered from bondage. And that Passover meal was important. And as Jesus did that, he stopped in the middle of all this and took a cup and passed it around and said, this is my blood shed for you. And he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. And it became custom for the early church from then on to do it. And you fast forward uh, a few decades and that's where we pick up in reading in the New Testament today from that night all the way to a church. And it's a church that's struggling. If you read the Corinthian letters, uh, they're a little bit, it kind of, uh, maybe it should give us all a little bit of hope because their church had problems just like all churches have problems. There's never been a church without problems. If you're looking for that church, I hate to disappoint you this morning, it's not here. Uh, I don't know where to tell you to go find it. All churches have problems. The Corinthian church had problems. And as we read this morning, we'll see how some of those things they were struggling with was actually how they initiated and took the Lord's Supper together. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that you come together as a church. There are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it's necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. That seems like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. You guys have divisions, and that's bad, but it's good that you have factions. What he's saying is that there should be a difference between those who are doing the right thing and those who are doing the wrong. So he keeps going by saying, when you come together then, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The apostle was writing to a church that was not unified in the matter of the Lord's Supper and it was causing issues as they went out. Now, it's clear from our passage that they probably were not taking the Lord's Supper like we're taking it today. Well, they were having a supper. They were, they were having a meal together in that way. And, and the custom of what they were doing would be that they would come together. And as you read into this passage, did you see what was going on? They were divided. And it's interesting. I, again, I, I say this to you. Uh, the church today is no different than the church was 
then. Uh, are people divided today? Certainly they're divided. And, and it's easy for churches to become divided on things that don't matter. But there was an issue of a slight going on here. I feel slighted in what has happened. And what was happening is some believers were coming and basically just bringing some food. And, and what you might call what uh, this pastor abhors, a potluck dinner. We don't have those around here. Largely out of deference to your pastor who is grossed out by them completely. But that's what they were doing. They were coming together. And what he's saying is, right, some of you come and you just eat your own meal. And you're not worried that somebody else came and doesn't have enough. And somebody over here is getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And something that should be about remembering what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us and a somber time, a somber occasion for us to consider our relationship with the Lord and what it means to be a Christ follower. Some of you are just treating this like it's your dinner. And he says, if you wanted to do that, you should stay home. You just eat at home. And certainly he's saying you shouldn't be coming to church to get drunk, right? We haven't gotten this to, to this in Ephesians, but in Ephesians chapter five, he's going to say we should never be drunk. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so obviously they, they, they had misunderstood or they were abusing, that's maybe a harsher word, the opportunity for the Lord's Supper. They, they didn't understand what was going on. When we talk about unity, and we've been dealing with this in the book of Ephesians, we just finished some relational work last week, didn't we? We said as, as new believers, we're to lay aside anger and malice and bitterness and wrath, those things aren't to be part of us as we relate to one another. We've talked about how unity comes from the Spirit of God. We don't make unity. God's Spirit has made the unity. It's the unifying force. I'm sorry, stop. We don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And I did that, my bad. He, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. The Holy Spirit brings us together and creates unity. And as the Holy Spirit creates unity, we have one job to do with that unity. And what is it? It's to maintain that unity, isn't it? We can't manufacture it. We can't create it. We can sure enough break it though, can't we? And it's broken so easily. And in this church, it was being broken by the fact that people were oblivious to the needs of those around them and seemed to not care. Did they care? We don't know. But they seemed to not care. And it was causing factions. When the work of the Holy Spirit takes hold of our lives, it brings us together. Because only the Spirit can foster the bonds of peace and unity in our lives. And every one of us has a responsibility to maintain that, don't we? If you're sitting in here, you have that responsibility. I have that responsibility. I mean, as we just talked, let the sun not go down on your anger last week. Just, just keeping those things going in our lives that the Holy Spirit has given to us. When you look back at the scripture, you see all kinds of things that cause people to be separated. Someone once said that sin is really just a fracture in relationship. The first fracture in relationship is our relationship with God and it's fractured and we sin against God and it's fractured. But what sin does in our lives is that 
as you and I are in relationship to one another, what sin immediately does is it fractures relationships. So there's a, a vertical aspect to that, isn't there? That I, I sin and I, I fracture the unifying relationship that I have with the Lord and, and only Jesus Christ can come and die on the cross and, and give us repentance and, and give us forgiveness of sins. But as we go forward, there are all kinds of relational aspects that can be fractured. This afternoon, I'll have a meeting with our deacons. Do you remember how the first deacons were selected? It was over a fracture. What was the fracture? The fracture was that there were Jewish believers in the church, and that's by ethnicity, not meaning that they were practicing Jews. They were Jewish believers by ethnicity. And then there were Hellenistic believers or Greek believers by ethnicity, and what was happening is that one group felt like they were being served, the widows of that group were being served and taken care of to the exclusion of the other group. You guys are playing favorites. And so what happened? They decided we need deacons because the deacons are going to do what? Serve the tables. The deacons are gonna make sure that, that we're, we're ministering to the needs of these people so that no one is left behind because we don't want there to be any fracture in our relationships. So there was a fracture there. There's a fracture here. There's a, if we turn into 2 Corinthians, there's a fracture with immorality and different things going on in the church. This is what happens. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder for us that that shouldn't be there. So a division instead of unity led to them missing the fact that the Lord's Supper is a purposed proclamation, a purpose or purposeful proclamation. What does that mean? Look back at verse 23 with me. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take this in just a minute and we open this top flap and we pull out this little wafer, it's doing something that's pretty amazing for us in the church because there are really only two symbolic things that we do here at Judson Baptist Church. We do the Lord's Supper and we baptize. And both of them do something I think that's pretty incredible that God must have known to really make this a poignant moment for us. Both of them engage our senses in a way that are not normally engaged in the worship service. Normally in the worship service, your senses that are engaged would be sight and sound, right? I mean, you, you're, you're able to see what's going on and maybe we show a video or, or there's a slide presentation or something like that and, or you see a, a, you know, what's, what's happening if somebody's playing music. You, you're able to see that, but you hear it. You hear the proclamation of the word. But in the Lord's Supper, think about the senses that come alive. Touch. You're handling a wafer. We talk about handling the body of Christ in that way. Not that it's supernatural, it's, it's still a wafer. But you're thinking about that in a different way. It's one thing to think about the body of Christ. It's another thing to hold it, 
symbolically in your hand and think about it. Uh, there, there's a smell to that. Grape juice has such a smell, doesn't it? I mean, juice, juices anywhere have a smell, but, but grape juice certainly has a smell to it. Uh, it's one of those things that if you grew up in a tradition where maybe they didn't use grape juice, but they used wine, you know the smell, right? Uh, I was in Romania a number of years ago, and we were about to take the Lord's Supper. And in one church that I was in that morning, we had used grape juice, but in another church I, I was in that afternoon, they, they, used, they used wine. And when they pulled the lid off, the, the, the serving trays, that aromatic moment that you could smell that, just like with the grape juice, it's engaging something. And Jesus told us that his body was going to be offered for us. The breaking of bread, symbolic for his body given for us in sacrifice. It had to happen that way. Isaiah says it like this. Uh, he was bruised and afflicted for us. His stripes give us healing. And so when we hold this wafer and we consider the body of Christ and we consider what happened to that precious body as Jesus was tried illegally, as Jesus was beaten unjustly, as Jesus was spat upon unjustly, as they pulled on his beard, as they shoved a crown of thorns on his head, as they mercilessly mocked him, we see this body and we recognize that grace, while being free, was costly. What did it cost? The precious body of the Lamb of God, given for us. Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And that wafer represents that for us. The cup being passed that night contained in it the fruit of the vine. We take it and it comes to us and the symbolism can't be lost on us for the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Couldn't there have been another way, we might ask? Why would God have to let his own son die on the cross for us? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The blood must be shed. Sin required payment. And the payment was death. And Christ died for all of us so that we wouldn't have to die. Of course you're going to die in the sense of, uh, of, of a natural death. But remember in the scripture, that's not the only death that we're meant to fear. There's a second death that comes after death. When judgment comes and those who are not in Christ are separated from him forever in a real place called hell. You're going to say, Pastor, do you really believe in hell? Jesus did. So I do. Because Jesus did. He spoke about it often. A place that was awful. A place where fire and sulfur were and, and there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Teeth set on edge. The grinding and gritting of teeth. Forever. And yet I remind you that Jesus tells us about the day of judgment in Matthew. He tells us that there will be a separation. Those who enter into their rest in heaven. And those who will be sent to the place prepared not for them, but for Satan and the demons. God doesn't desire anyone to go to hell. He doesn't. 
That's not his desire for us. His desire for us is that our relationship would be restored through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the body broken for us, the blood shed for us. And so verse 26 tells us that we do this in a way to be a proclamation. Listen to it again. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I grew up in a church and I pastored a church It was a little maybe more formal than this. And down front, we didn't have stairs that led right here. We only had stairs that kind of went up here and over here. And right here was a big table that was there all the time. And there was an inscription on the table that said, do this in remembrance of me. Anybody? There you go. Come on, good Baptist. That's important for us to think about because this is telling us something that's happening here. We're remembering something but we're also proclaiming something. I want you to think about what we're remembering. When we do this, we're stopping to just consider and remember the gravity of that moment, how serious it was, how heavy it was that the Son of God, sinless before the foundation of the world, lived a sinless life when he came to earth, would die in our place so that we might be set free from the law of sin and death, And so many times in our lives, we know that, but the further you get away from that moment you were saved, it's just easy to forget how serious it was and what a weight sin had placed on your shoulders. And I want to just remind us of this for a second, if I could. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus this morning, I don't believe it's always good just to look back and go back and revisit the past all the time. That's not helping you live in the present or the future. But I'm going to ask you to make a concession for me this moment. Would you just take a moment this morning and would you remember the five minutes before you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember the internal struggle? Do you remember the pulling? We we talk about uh, in, in, in the hymn that we sing, Fightings within and fears without. Oh, Lamb, I come. Oh, God, I come, right? Why is that? Because there was that struggle going on inside of us. It was a struggle for our will, but it was also the weight of the burden of our sin. And just being tortured by that. Now, do me a favor. Would you remember the five minutes after you got saved? Do you remember that far back in your life if it was a long time ago or was it recent? Do you remember what it felt like to have your burden laid down and new life picked up in Christ? And do you remember what it felt like to finally be able to live in the freedom of the love of God and not to be under his wrath and his judgment, but to be free from all of that? So when we say we do this in remembrance, it's because it's good to remember what happened in our lives when Jesus saved us. It's good for us to take the the moment at the table, the Lord's table, And just stop and reflect on that. And thank God again, as Abraham Lincoln said, to awful, not to awful, to offer those ascriptions justly do him. What does he do? Our praise, the glory that is his. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the conqueror. And all praise and glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit this morning. So we do that, but we proclaim something. We proclaim what? His death 
until he comes. This is a proclamation that sounds funny. Why would the church need to proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ? It would be that if we don't start with his death, we never get to his burial, we never get to his resurrection, and we never get to his new life that is offered to us. It starts with his death. When we do this today, we're proclaiming to one another. You're gonna take this, you're gonna open it, you're gonna look at your neighbor, uh, you're gonna look at me, I'm gonna look at you, and we're going to say, we are holding, not lightly, but holding sincerely the body of Christ which was given for us. That's a proclamation that this church must make to one another inside the walls of this church over and over and over again because it is the very foundation by which we are gathered this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So we proclaim it to one another as a way of encouragement. Yes, this body shed for me, I'm in this. I'm part of this. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ just like you and I see you taking it, you see me taking it and we proclaim it. But we're also proclaiming to anyone who would be in here that there is a God who has loved us so much that he sent his own son. Can I read something for you that might sound familiar? And it's a verse of scripture. I, I, I feel like it's, it's maybe a travesty that we only stop with this one because if we would go just a verse further, it would be so important for us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You ready for the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. When we read that this morning, what we're reading for ourselves is this great truth from the scripture that God has loved us with an everlasting love and he sent Jesus to die for us, not so that we would be condemned, but so that we could be set free from the law of sin and death. And if we would place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God would do a work that we can't even imagine. God would raise what is dead in our lives and bring it to life. God would let, set us on a course towards new life in Christ. So it starts with his death. You can't get there to his life. And I think sometimes what we maybe would want to do, if we're not careful, is that, that we want to tell people about Jesus being a friend of sinners. He is a friend of sinners. But we might circumvent that without meaning to by talking, we're not talking about the wrath of God and how the wrath of God exists in opposition to people who are not close to Christ by his salvation. So this proclamation we make today, it's for anyone in the room who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And this would be our proclamation. God has loved you with an everlasting love. And it's on display in Christ. And Christ Jesus came to this earth, having already existed, not in the form of man, but in the form of God. Philippians says he didn't hold fast to that, but that he, he laid that down and became a man, taking on human form, took on flesh. Why? So that he could live a sinless life for us, keeping every part of the law. Not one piece of it was missed by Jesus Christ. And because he is the spotless, sinless lamb of God, that he could go to the cross and die on our behalf in our place. 
Theologians call this the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Big word just means this very simple thing that's not so simple, but I can explain it simply. Jesus died in your place so the wrath of God would be satisfied. That's it. He was buried and he rose on the third day and he stayed and and walked and talked with his disciples for a number of days before ascending to the right hand of the Father. There were 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, over 500 eyewitnesses, the scripture tells us some of whom were still alive at the writing of the New Testament as it was being completed. Why is that important? Because Jesus is the only way. There is no other way for us to be back into relationship with God the Father. Won't happen. Only happens through Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ and received the forgiveness that is yours in Christ Jesus. My prayer today is that you would just realize that God would open your heart for you to realize your need for a savior and that you would place your faith and trust in the work of Christ on the cross. Repent of your sins and be saved today. That's the proclamation of the picture you're going to see here in just a moment. But it's also a time of examination. Look at verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink the cup For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. When he's talking about the body, he's talking about not the body of Jesus, the body of the the fellowship that we're in. Remember, he's talking about divisions. And he says, this is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. What does he mean by that? That there were some consequences for people who profaned the Lord's Supper as if it was no big deal. Just a ritual that we do, and it doesn't matter how we do it. No, it's a matter of the heart. And it does matter how we approach it. And he says, if you were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So we may not be condemned with the world. When the scripture talks about the unity of the body, it says some interesting things, doesn't it? Even to the point of saying, if you came in today to offer your altar, uh, your offering at the altar, your prayers at the altar, and you recognize that your brother has something against you that it would be important for you to leave that there and go do business first with your brother rather than just acting like that didn't matter because we're not supposed to have the fractures of the body. And so when we look at this, what we see is that to eat the bread without unity is to harm the body. To eat the bread without confessing sin is wrong. It's a time of self-examination In just a moment, Daniel will come and he'll start playing. And as he does, we're going to take a moment just for self-examination, not only to ascribe what should be rightly God's, but also to confess our sin. For us to take a moment just to say before the Lord, we want to stand before you clean, with clean hands, a pure heart, clean thoughts, pure relationships, that those things are right. And my admonishment to you is this this morning, If that can't happen in your life, don't crack the lid. Don't do it. 
If that can't happen in your life, don't take this. Because to do so, as you start to do this, is to say, Lord, as, as far as it stands between you and I, I am right in relationship with you. And it would be better for me to leave that and go and do business that I need to do than it would be for me to act like this is no big deal and treat it as if it's just a ritual that we're doing today. It's not a ritual. It's a message, a proclamation. And so it's good for us to examine ourselves. It's really good for us to do this right as we enter the Advent season. Don't you think the Advent season changes a little bit when we think of Jesus not as the baby who came? That's a cool story. I mean, it's so, so great. I can't wait for us to revisit that. It's awesome. But that's only part A of the story is that God came. We know how the story ends because we've read his full life. We know that he died on the cross for our sins. And so when we recognize that, it makes Christmas all the more meaningful for us to enter into this season of, of holiday and merriment and excitement and good things that will happen, to do that before the Lord saying, I am refreshed and I am ready to stand before you, God, and have all that you would have for me for this Advent season. I'm excited about that and I can't wait for it to happen. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask Daniel to come and just begin playing softly. And in a moment, I will just start to ask you if there's some things you might need to do business with the Lord with. I think one of the great prayers in scripture that we could start with this morning is, the prayer that says, search me and try me and see if there's any hidden fault within me. Would you do that right now? Would you ask the Lord to just do a work of grace and repentance in your life? And claim 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for that. Father, may you do the work that we know only you can do, and that's to purify our hearts and bring them into alignment with obedience to your word. Father, how we love you and praise you and we lift up the name of Jesus, our Savior, who died in our place. And Father, our prayer today is that as we take this, Father, you would see us as a people who desire to have clean hands and a pure heart. And that, Father, you would bless us as we proclaim your goodness today. Lord Jesus, we do this today in honor and remembrance of you. Remembering the pain and the cost 
and celebrating the purpose, Lord, our deliverance from sin. We ask now for your presence, Holy Spirit, to guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you did not receive one of these cups, a couple of our deacons are down here. If you just slip your hand up in the air, we'd be happy to get you one of those. And I want to just make a, a caveat, one in the back, back there, Jack. Um, I want to make a, a quick caveat about this and why, why we do this and some thoughts about it. Who can take this? Anyone who's been saved. This is not the church's supper, it's the Lord's supper. And so we have what we practice here is what we call open communion. But you do need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, this doesn't mean anything to you. It's just a ritual that the church is doing. And in fact, it wouldn't be appropriate. And I mentioned this, but there are times where it's maybe not appropriate even for a believer yet to take it. Just to say, you know what, Lord? I need to fix this. I need to do this. And that's okay too. There's no shame in that. There's no wrong in that. In fact, it's good for us to do that and maintain the unity. If you would, you take, you kind of have two flaps here. There's a thin one on the top. If you would, just take that back and take this wafer. As we do this, I want to read again for you what the apostle said in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Lord, we thank you that you went the full distance all the way to the cross when the crowd jeered you and mocked you and told you to cry out for deliverance. You could have done it and slayed every one of them there just by a word. And yet, you saw the obedience to God's plan as so much more important. And those stripes on your body have healed our incurable wound, which was sin. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you take this, uh, hold it lightly so you're not wearing it all afternoon. As you open it, just give it a little tug. This cup, Jesus said, represented something important from verse 25. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Father, we have today endeavored as best we know how to honor and to proclaim the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. And Father, we lift you up as worthy 
and proclaim Jesus as the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And our prayer today, Father, is that you would just do a work in our hearts to get us ready to celebrate this upcoming season of joy as we think about the advent of our Lord Jesus. And as we do this today, Lord, we proclaim your death until you come again. And we believe you will come again, Lord Jesus. When the Father announces that it's time, you'll leave the right hand of the Father once again. Not to come as a meek and tender child, but to come as ruler of the earth. Where you will receive the nation as your inheritance, as Psalm 2 says. And Lord Jesus, you will judge with the Father of the living and the dead. And you will call us home. And we yearn for that day. Father, we pine for that day. Our bodies ache for that day because we know that all of our faith will become sight and so much of our salvation has yet to be experienced by us, Lord, because it will be experienced in heaven as we live the new life with you in eternity. The old things will pass away. All things will be made new. And so we as generations of churches before us say Lord Jesus come and come quickly in your precious name we pray Amen